Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. Welcome to Two Adoptive Mamas. Um, this is Liz, and tonight I am interview. I'm not really interviewing you. I have my husband here. Hey, Dan. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we are hopping on to talk about money. Yay. And fundraising. And grants and all things that have to do with money in the adoption process. So um, we're really excited to dive in and at least share a little bit about our journey. We, um, for those who maybe haven't heard the pilot, uh, we have two internationally adopted children. So we went through two international processes um, in order to bring our kiddos home. Uh, and that required a lot of fundraising and a lot of grant writing and we are not experts by any means but hopefully our lived experience and story um, can encourage you wherever it is that you find yourself so um, the first thing that we kind of want to I guess unpack um, is taking it all the way back and talking about the reason that we fundraise so I know Dan you have some thoughts on that but do you want to kick us off (laughs) I sure would love to. Um, <laughs> it is important to me to remember that we fundraise because some of us are called to adopt. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, not everyone is called to adopt, uh, but everyone is called to do something in the care of orphans and widows. Shout out to Mary Beth Chapman. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's where I learned um, this idea and, and um, the application of this principle can feel very daunting. Um, and like you're disconnected to the adoption community um, when you think, well, I can't adopt because of my life circumstances, but not everyone is called to adopt. So there are very real ways that you can support those who have been called on this journey. Yeah, and I think that's a good um, thing to remember as adoptive parents or as a family who is going into the adoption process that there are people um, in your spheres of influence who want to come alongside of you. And so um, for many of us, not all, but for many of us, we don't have um, the cost of the fees um, just lying around (laughs) available. Um, And so that is, you know, there's a financial need on our part um, as adoptive families uh, to go into fundraising. But I do think there's a lot of truth in just bringing that tribe and community together and bringing God's people together together. to to bring a little one home and to care for orphans and so Mary Beth Chapman said it right <laughs> she sure did <laughs> um, so the other thing we wanted to talk a little bit about is just some of the hurdles that we need to overcome uh, as fundraisers as I guess personal fundraisers it's not like we're uh, jumping into an organization that has some kind of capital campaign or like specific donor base uh, we're we're humans, we're people living life. And um, sometimes it feels like a part-time or a full-time job to take on fundraising and grant writing. So 
I'm going to dive into a little bit of the hurdles for that. And I guess we'll share from our personal story that when we, um, when we started the journey to bring our daughter home, we were what you were in grad school. Mm-hmm. I was working on campus at a university and we were yep. real poor. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> yes, we were. Um, and you know, I think that was almost the perfect time for God to say go because we were completely reliant on him mm-hmm. and his grace and it took a lot of personal savings and sacrifice. Um, and I, I mean, there is no way that we would have gotten to Poland or China without fundraising. Absolutely. Huge part of our, our journey. Um, but yeah, it takes a village and this is kingdom work. I don't do anything to add. <laughs> I would just say that a part of this is that you're not paying to bring a child home. You're paying for a process. Um, and it can be really helpful as you think about your fundraising and educating your community, educating that village is being able to offer them, explain what it is that they are giving for. So we need $5,000 for our notary and apostille fees, or we need $3,000 to uh, pay the translator, or we need whatever it is each step of the way, explaining and breaking down what you're paying for so that it becomes more about the process uh, and not so much um, feeling like you're paying for a child. I mean, sometimes that, if I'm reflecting back on what it is that we went through, And when we were in that really strong season of fundraising, a lot of that education had to happen to myself. Like I had to read all of the documents, like what exactly is this going for? And, you know, how, how is the agency using these funds and and these fees um, to help get all of the work done? Cause there Mm -hmm. is a lot of paperwork and there is a lot of things to do. So one of the hurdles was simply just my own education and my own understanding of what, had to happen. And, and I know that there, I mean, we don't have to go down the rabbit trail of all the things that maybe could be reformed, um, in the adoption journey. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of fees. There's is a lot of paperwork. There are a lot of social workers involved and, and one of, I mean, maybe that's the second hurdle that I would jump in to say, like, maybe we just we need to recognize that in this kingdom work, there is going to be a lot of hard and Mm -hmm. especially early on in the process, getting to all of the amounts that you need for those fees is one of the biggest things that's hard, (laughs) Um, especially early on in the process. So be validated and encouraged. If you find yourself in that, in that process, Um, if you're just jumping in and like you turned over the agency (laughs) folder (laughs) and saw what the fees are, it is okay to feel a little scared. Um, it's also okay to know that we serve a big God who will always provide, um, and always help you find a way. Yeah. And he cares about orphans. So he's always gonna, he's always gonna gonna make it work. Yeah. Um, all right. So one of the questions that I had wanted to ask you, Dan, (laughs) um, specifically are things that you and I did to stay on the same page when we were in that fundraising season. And we were, you know, also answering a lot of very personal questions for the home study and answering all of these other, um, or writing all these documents that we were for grants. And we'll 
cover grants later, but how did you and I stay sane and how did we stay on top of it while we were navigating all those hurdles? I think that we approached it uh, from a team point that it wasn't that you had to do all this or I had to do all of this um, or even really that um, you were going to do this and I was going to do something different. Um, <clears throat> but when you were writing your testimony, I was writing my testimony and um, when we needed to fill out forms and sign things, we would both have pens and just go and fill out everything um, form by form by form um, and get it all done, um, checking in on the logistics of it um, every night or after work, the weekends, whenever it was that we couldn't find the time and pull it together to focus on each of these things that we need to do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we have a pretty good team mentality for all things parenting in life, but um, we weren't parents at that point. We were hopeful parent, parents to be, mm -hmm. uh, but there was no kiddo in the home when we were doing this. I guess the first time. The second time was a lot harder because we did have our daughter home, mm -hmm. and so she would have to go to bed, and then we would start our paperwork parties. Yep. Um, and sometimes we were doing those, you know, two and three times a week. But uh, and I think that I mean that I guess is a personal family choice that you have to make of how quickly it is you're going to go, how mm -hmm. much you're going to communicate, um, really evaluating your strengths and weaknesses as a couple. And Absolutely. Who, who should take the lead on what component and how you're kind of keeping each other updated. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, even in reflecting now and talking to you about this, our first journey of fundraising looked really different than our second um, fundraising journey. And, you know, going to two con different countries, like there are a lot of different nuances there for what yep. we're looking at. But um, it, it was really, really good to be on the same page. So... All right, another thing, while we're on the communication theme, <laughs> um, I want to also just kind of highlight some things that made communicating with our uh, community, our the people who are supporting us, what that, how that was easier. I know um, it's really easy to flip through Instagram and really easy to find a bunch of adoption blogs about that. Um, and those are really important things. We absolutely use them. We mm -hmm. had, um, you know, a lot of messaging on our social media when the first time that we adopted, it was only Facebook, which makes it sound so crazy that long ago, but um, it was only Facebook. And so we would use that. And the second time we had Instagram and we always had a blog and, and we were pretty good about keeping that mm -hmm. um, updated throughout the process. Um, but I think it's really important to make sure that you have a personal connection with those people who are giving um, and figuring out a way to to kind of express that that personal touch. Um, so a Instagram thank you post is not necessarily the same as, you know, after a certain fundraiser writing that handwritten note, making the call, um, giving like some so giving some way to show that gratitude that has the personal touch mm -hmm. to that. Um, and I know, and this is kind of like going on to another, another topic specifically with like interacting with your community, but I know Dan, you have a lot of, uh, just, 
I guess, reminders or tips for our listeners about how to personalize your fundra- our fundraising or your fundraising. So you can take a generic idea, but really make it your own. Um, and that really helps when you're giving a personal thank you. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to dive into that. Yeah, so I can certainly start us off. Um, one of the things that we did in our second adoption was a beard fundraiser. So um, you're going to have to describe that. <laughs> well, the goal was to get 10 people to uh, support me um, as I um, grew um, my beard. We called it um, a beard for a baby. Um, so I, I think that we had started sometime in the fall months um, and over the winter and uh, I we set a deadline so October to January or uh, whatever that would look like for you and for every month that you grew um, they would give $20 or whatever you know set your amount and if you get 10 people who are giving $20 a month three months like that adds up pretty quickly um, that's $600 um, right there so that seems like something really simple um, and some people gave right at the start some people gave after it was all done um, we had some people who were giving money right to the beard growers we had money people who were giving money to us um, for their beard growers so it looked different but the money came in and the money that we needed um, came in and was provided so I talked to brothers, I talked to um, friends who I knew had, who I knew had a beard and uh, they all grew a beard and let it grow. I would always say that you can trim your beard for professionalism or comfort because I need <laughs> to do both of those things. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good example of using, and we have had JT Olson on the Two Adopted Mama podcast for um, the Both Hands Project, which is absolutely an option that you should look into um, as you're looking to fund your adoption. It was a really great project, and we were able to serve a widow um, and bring home our baby, and it was really great. Um, but the methodology there, excuse me, is that you build a team and then the team goes out to get sponsors um, mm-hmm. for them to do something. And that's a really simple concept that can be applied in whatever way uh, your family um, could, me- you know, you're meeting a need. Your family you're, works. Yeah, however your family is uh, either a certain passion or a certain nuance, like we found a whole bunch of people who were already growing beards and they just (laughs) kept growing them. Um, But we weren't asking everyone to, you know, help out Dave's beard. We were asking um, our own sphere of influence to support Dan and then our other beard growers were asking their spheres Mm -hmm. of influence. And um, so it it widens the net a little bit um, and in a a unique way. Uh, So a couple other um, things specific to like how we engaged with our community through that example. Um, we would give monthly updates about what it was and how we were growing um, the beards <laughs> physically, but also growing financially like mm-hmm. throughout the project. And so um, being able to share that with the people who are sponsoring Dan specifically, mm-hmm. we would like get the beard growers together and take pictures and um, be able to show and kind of like comment on the length of the beard 
kids or what they looked like. Um, and, and all of those things are, you know, fun and lighthearted in the midst of this like rather long, lengthy process of mm -hmm. raising mm -hmm. a lot of money for um, a great need. And so being able to kind of weave that together and, and really engage with the people who were giving. Um, and it didn't uh, betray our child's story in any way. It mm -hmm. didn't like, honestly it didn't take a lot of time i would say it was a hardship for me to see you longer but, um, i'm just kidding <laughs> but i think that that like things like that like ways that you can fundraise and kind of like go above and beyond what you know the classic quote-unquote spaghetti dinner like that's a very common fundraiser that it works and there's a reason that it's popular and effective but putting that personal mm -hmm. twist on it and then giving that personal touch and the thank you keeping your community engaged, all of these things kind of work together to make a successful fundraiser. Absolutely. And so personally, I like making puzzles. I like building jigsaw puzzles. Um, and you can order um, jigsaw puzzles that are handmade, personalized for your experience. So the country you're adopting from, your family name, um, a picture of your family, whatever it is that would make sense for you. Um, and we had friends write their name on the back of the puzzle, the puzzle piece that they bought. And then we can now hand that puzzle in our daughter's room, give it to her and show her that, you know, these are all the people who helped to bring you home. These are people who are part of your, of that step of your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good example of what I would classify like a passive fundraiser where it's very minimal uh, output for what we would have to do <laughs> um, because like we're, we're, you know, air quote selling a puzzle piece um, for, for the fundraising. Uh, but it's, it, that can be so personal, especially for um, your child and your family, which is really cool. I'll share my, so my favorite, um, example from our fundraising days or at least my favorite event was we held a board game night um and we had people donate items that would be kind of like raffled for the board game winners and we're like nerd nerdy board gamers like it's not monopoly it's like settlers of Catan and like wingspan level board games um but Oddly enough, when we were living down in Nashville um, and bringing our daughter home, we had lots of friends who also were in that same category. I guess that's not quite as nerdy anymore, but I say it like they're, these are like high level games. You're, high level. He's looking at me, um, <laughs> making faces. But anyway, okay. The point is it was so fun to be able to just spend a night doing something that we love with our friends um, and our church community and inviting them into something that matters to us and how we kind of spend our time together and we're able to have fun together, um, but also make it, I mean, educational for lack of a better term. Like we had information about what it was that the fees were going to be. And we had information about the country and the culture and, and what we were stepping into. Um, and so that was really cool that, you know, we were like giving out information and prizes and spending quality time together with our community. So that was one that I really loved. Do you have any other thoughts specifically on fundraising, either ideas, how to stay connected to your community, ways to say thanks? <laughs> kind of random, but a cool story of God working in the midst of fundraising. So 
I was at the dentist when we were down in Nashville and was telling, I think it was just one of the dental hygienists about the fact that we were adopting and um, where we were at in the process. And she told the dentist and he had the receptionist give me a check on my way out. Um, and that check ended up covering the costs of our spaghetti dinner fundraiser that we held down there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and you never know how that's going to work. So that was a no-cost fundraiser for us because of the dentist. And so that then everything that we made that night was able to go right to the adoption. And we didn't have to pay anybody or, yeah, it, it just really worked out. We didn't have and to pay for food. We didn't have to pay for yeah. food, yeah. We didn't have to pay for food or, or for any of the expenses. Yeah. I think that's a... I forgot about that. <laughs> but I think that's so, uh, again, just a really great encouragement and reminder um, that you never know who is going to be touched by orphan care and how God is going to move in their hearts mm -hmm. and when it's going to be time for Absolutely. them to give. Yeah. So... All right, we haven't talked about grants yet. What Ooh. do you remember about... <laughs> no, this is good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about grant writing, Dan? <laughs> um, editing and reviewing <laughs> and getting something on paper and then figuring out... I mean, it's like writing um, around the time of our first adoption. I was in grad school, so I was writing a lot of papers, and this was like yeah. a paper yeah. <laughs> about myself and the reason that we wanted to adopt and the reason that we need it. And in some ways it was helpful because I was in the mode of paper writing. In some ways it was just, oh, there's another five page paper. <laughs> um, so that was really helpful um, because they give the large sums of money generally um, that are able to really propel things forward and keep things moving. And it can feel very reassuring. Um, there are lots of um, grants and grant possibilities out there. Um, some grants dependent on countries, some grants dependent on countries you're adopting from, some grants dependent on the adoptive parents and their situation and what that looks like. Um, so the general ones with um, like the Show Hope um, grant that <clears throat> is really um, a good one to check into and look at. Um, Show Hope does a lot of fundraising for their money for the grants. So they want people to use it. They want people to apply. They want people to go through that process and be able to get that money to uh, support the adoption. Yeah, and we will have a lot of links in our show notes this time about um, either articles of grants uh, that you can look for um, or specific grants that you could look up their application. Um, or again, since you mentioned Show Hope, um, howtoadopt.org is a great place to start when you're kind of thinking about what all the fees are, what the process looks like, what stage of the process um, comes with what fee, and how all of those things align. Um, and we have some other really great articles that we'll link. So we have a lot of resources that we'll um, put as a kind of to highlight that. Um, I think you already touched on this a little bit, but what grants do um, is provide either a little bit of cushion um, <laughs> if it's just giving you 
uh, if it's just straight up, give, you know, cutting the check directly to the agency, um, or it provides that match opportunity. So you can do one of those personal fundraisers, but have um, a matching grant alongside of that. Um, and that's a really cool way. Like sometimes it's an organization that's matching. Sometimes it's a church that's matching through one of these uh, matching grants. So um, my biggest piece of advice would be uh, to literally start with you can start with Google. You can start with some of the resources that we're going to link out with, you know, some of the top adoption grants or some of the top ways to think about fundraising for adoption. Um, and you can kind of process through all of that as a family. Um, and then my next step would always be to check with your agency or your state um, to see if there's anything specific. Uh, maybe the child that you are bringing home has a certain diagnosis where mm. there are certain um, grant opportunities that might not be available for all families. So um, there's a lot of nuances and a lot of ways out there to apply. Um, but one thing that you also touched on, uh, you're just kind of writing the same information over <laughs> and over and over. <laughs> um, and so not all the questions are exactly the same, but you start, you know, by the 10th one, you're like, man, I feel like I've answered this already. So if you didn't start at the beginning, or I would recommend doing that now, like start a Google doc or a word document of just like running answers <laughs> that you mm -hmm. can like go and refer to and tweak however you need to and like make, you know, specific for that grant or that situation. But if you are, it's so much easier to edit than to create if you are if you already have the paragraph written out. Um, and then I also recommend having a shared calendar and like marking the deadlines of when the grant applications are due and then kind of backtracking on all those paperwork parties that Dan mentioned at the beginning. Mm -hmm. How are we gonna get it done and submitted? And a lot of them have to be mailed in. So accounting for that and when is it gonna get there in time? So. Yeah. One other thing I would add about grants and um, looking for additional sources of don uh, financial donation um, would be checking with your employer. Certain companies do have an adoption fund. Um, your church as well might have an adoption fund or a um, resource that they could give to um, give you uh, a financial boost to help you in the process. Yeah. Well, like I said at the beginning, we're certainly not experts in this, but that is a little bit about, um, I guess, our story, our journey through fundraising, and also some things that we found helpful. Hopefully, it will empower and encourage you to keep pressing on in your fundraising journey, um, or wherever you find yourself. Maybe you're one of the givers um, of a, a fundraiser or a giver of someone um, who's in the adoption process. So thank you for listening, <laughs> and I think, you know, it's it's really good to have these moments to reflect on how the Lord provides and how mm -hmm. he truly is Jehovah Jireh. So um, at the end of the day, we serve a big God um, who already knows uh, who's supposed to be in your family and he's going to help you get there. So remember, you've got this mama. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or know someone who could benefit from our show, the best thing you can do is leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're grateful to be hosting the Two Adoptive Mamas podcast for a third season. Learn more about how you can support our ongoing work through our Patreon at twoadoptivemamas.com. 
As always, it's been fun. Until we meet again, remember, you've got this, mama. Mama.